0: You know, we talked about Jesus being the, the creator. Colossians says that without him, nothing was made. So the cool thing about it is if you visualize that Jesus has always been, right? And so when God said, hey, we're a part, a, above the waters, and God is the maker of life. And I don't know about you, but this week is interesting times in our country. I literally steer clear of politics. I just want to focus on Jesus. But there are times when decisions are made in our country for the good, for the bad, that sometimes we just need to pray about it. And so this week, you know, the whole Roe burst away. Um, decision was reversed by the Supreme Court. And, you know, I know that is a hot topic for many people. And I just want to say that I'm a believer in life. Now, we as a church are... We're going to support life. And I know there are situations and circumstances that surround that issue. Um, and I'm not going to get into them this morning. I didn't even plan on saying this, honestly. Um, and I don't have the answers for those tough situations. But I know that God is the author of life because he says in his word that I created you in my inmost being. I knit you together in, my, in your mother's womb. And that we are fearfully and we're wonderfully made. You know what I see? I want to point you out. I see Claire this morning. Um, Something's going on with her. Not really. (laughs) Um, And that's uh, one that's being fearfully and wonderfully made even right now, who has a heartbeat, who has a hope and a future in Christ. And um, yeah, and so um, Heather's really on these, on this, on this. She reads every morning, and and she said, "Oh man, you got you know." And so I checked it out a little bit, and I just felt the Lord say, um, "The battle is just beginning." Amen. It really is. And so, how are we going to battle? We talked about it last week. It'd be easy to go out there and get mad and to get angry and start. Uh, start these conversations that are loud, and we'll see that happen. Um, trust me, we're seeing it happen. Um, but I don't believe that Jesus did that. I don't believe he asked us to do that. He asked us to love and show compassion. And I was telling the youth a while back that you know, they're learning about this stuff in school, and, and some of the kids were really struggling because I don't want to write papers about this topic. But they're forced to. And they're forced to pick a side and not the side that they want to pick. And I'm just saying, so if we are going to take a stance here for life, then we need to stand by these young girls and these women who are having these babies. um, And someone's got to be there for them. We can't take a stand and say, this is right. We accept life and then ignore the issue. There's people that are hurting. These young ladies are hurting. And some of them have chosen to make those decisions. Some of them have not. There's men out there hurting because it's their child that's being taken away from them. It's a difficult situation. And so I just want us, before we even jump in, into the first Peter this morning, can we just stop and pray? Jesus said his house would be a house of prayer. And I know we pray a lot in this church, and we should. We really should. Because this is his house. And so he invites us to have communication with him. To pour out our hearts to him. So Lord, we do that this morning. We corporately together, we pray about this whole abortion issue. God, that we, and we stand on the side of life. God, we don't understand this, some of the situations and the circumstances that surround some of the horrific things that are going on and that have gone on but we want to join you in supporting life and we want to join young women and young men who want that life as well and Lord we we pray that would you change the hearts of those would you give them understanding your word says that that we are blinded if we're not walking with you. So Lord, would you take off the blinders, Jesus? Would you take them off? and So people would see the reality of what is really going on. We're all here in this room because we've been given life. So Lord, help us to stand up for life. Help us to stand with those who want to stand for life. Help us to stand with those who don't even know what to do next. That we would be there. Give us vision, God. And with that vision, Lord, that you would provide, you'd be the provider in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, last week we talked about self-control, submission, servanthood, and respect. So this morning I just thought, you know, let's just sit back, relax, have like a Lionel Richie Sunday morning. Let's have an easy Sunday morning, okay? Um, oh, I, I misread my notes. So, so hang on. I forgot. I forgot four words. I would like to say this morning is going to be like a Lionel Richie Sunday morning, easy. But <laughs> if you study the life of Peter, Peter's life wasn't easy. Peter wasn't easy to be around. Peter spoke before he usually thought. And so his letter to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I want to remind us. This isn't just Peter like going off here. This is his, Peter being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down to a scattered group of people who felt lost, isolated, felt alone, were distracted. And he wanted to remind them who they were and who they are in Christ. Who is our God? I want you to take a moment this morning. Who is our God? Thoughts? Creator? Creator? I'm going to echo it for the people at home. Who is our God? Creator? Healer? Healer? Savior. Savior? Provider? Provider? Say again? Lord? Lord. Yes. Master. Redeemer. Redeemer. Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Father. Father. Foundation. Foundation. He's love. He's a refuge. (laughs) He is a strong tower. Peter. I just read through Peter again yesterday. And um, just in the first two chapters, this is who Peter says our God is. He is a Father. He's a chooser. He's a knower. He knows you. He's a sanctifier. He's the one that makes us holy. He is a giver of grace and a giver of peace. And He gives those to us in abundance. He is merciful. He's a life giver. He's our inheritance holder. He is our shielder. I'm making making up a few words here, church. Dana Buck, is that even a word, shielder? It is now. now. Uh, Webster, stamp it. He is a shielder. He's powerful. He's the revealer, the refiner, the joy giver. He is holy. He is the raiser from the dead. He's the purifier. He's the word giver. He's enduring. He's living. He's the shame taker. He's precious. He's solid. He is light. And he is to be revered that's just in the first two chapters of first peter he's all those things so why is it important for us to know who he is because when things hit the fan when the confetti we got our fan out yesterday cuz it was 91 degrees at our house when the confetti hits the fan we need to know who our god is when we sing these songs these songs you know it's so fun to talk to brand new believers And they come into church. They've never been in a church before. They get saved. They come in and like, oh, this is kind of cool. You guys do karaoke on Sunday mornings. (laughs) Because you have music and you have words up and we just sing the words. But it's so much more than that, right? Because we're, we're reminding ourselves and one another who our God is and who we are. Brandon sang an old, old song that we learned in youth group years ago. You found me in my weakness, lifted me with strong hands and held me in your arms of grace. You defeated darkness and broke the sinner's shackles. You set me free. I am found in you. He is jealous for me. Man, his love for us is like this radical storm. It's like a hurricane. It's, his grace for us is like the oceans that we are just sinking in. And we have grace all around us. And it's massive. If you've ever been out in the middle of the ocean, there's no, and you can't see land, that's His love for us. It's massive. We don't even understand how wide it is. We don't understand the depths of His love. We sing about his, the height of His love. It's important for us to know who He is, because when struggles come, it is easy for us to be shaken. It's easy for us to be knocked off. American Christianity says that God loves you, He cares for you, and He wants you to to be well off. I believe that. I do believe that He wants us saved. I do believe that he loves us. I do believe he wants us well off, but it's not the well off that we see preached a lot on Sunday mornings. It is well with my soul. It's one of my favorite songs, and it was a tough situation for that man who wrote that because he lost his daughters. And he could still write it as well with my soul. Peter's writing to a group of people who are, who are disbanded because of their faith. Some of them are even hiding because of their faith. Some of them are in captivity. And he's trying to encourage them this is how you are to walk with your Lord Jesus. And these are tough passages sometimes to, to grab onto because I don't want this. Krista taught us a new song this morning. It sounds like an old song, didn't it? But it's actually written in 2020 by a guy named Cody Carnes. And a guy by Corey Asbury. Yes. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and I'll worship you. Okay, that sounds good. I'll do that. But if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Um, Don't really like that verse. Let's be real, let's be honest. I don't want to be in the fire. I've been in the fire a lot. But He's there with us. We've got to know who our God is. And even if we're in the fire, He's there with us. I won't be formed by my feelings. Whew. I hold fast to what is true. We've got to know who He is. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. It rhymes really well. But that is, do you understand what it means to be crucified? Death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, which the Bible tells us we will as followers of him, then I will join you when you rise. There's the good news, church. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will be singing. Will still be singing, my song will be the same. I will magnify you. So good. So thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Krista, for teaching us new songs this morning. First Peter chapter two. We're going to be in verse eighteen through twenty-five. You know it's tough when we go through these passages because I always yes. If you need a Bible, our host back there is uh, holding them up. Please grab them. We're going to be in all kinds of passages this morning, so. Love for you to follow along in the Word, on page 1048 in your Black Church Bible. Good morning, Ryan Meyer. Good morning, P.K. Roach. Good. I always want to jump back and read the context of these passages because, but we just don't always have time on Sunday mornings. Because remember, this is a continuous thought that Peter has here. And then when we get together on Sunday mornings, we're like, okay, we're at verses 18 through 25 today, but we're kind of jumping into the middle of these thoughts. And so to capture everything that's going on here, Peter's describing to us how do we follow Jesus in tough situations? How do we honor him in what we do and how we act? You know, our actions speak louder than our words. And what's even worse is when our actions don't line up with our words. Here's a real moment for you right here. As a youth pastor at this church for so many years, some of the hardest kids to get them to introduce them to the real Jesus was the church kids. And why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. They've grown up and that's all they've known. That's one. And I'm not talking bad about parents, but I'll just be real with you. But what they see and hear at church wasn't always what they saw and heard at home. And so it confused them because they're just kids. I don't quite get this. We talk about this amazing God that we can live for him and that he's with us. But we don't live that the rest of the week at home. But we live it here? It's confusing for kids. But you bring a kid who grows up in a home that doesn't know Jesus and you introduce them and they're like, yes, I want all of that. Those are the kids that are on fire. They're the ones that spread the wildfire through your youth group and into your community because they've not known him and it's fresh, it's brand new. So that's why this morning when we say, God, would you make things new? For those of us that have been around a while, we, he still does that. He'll make it fresh and new if we ask him to. And if we press in and not rely on our old stuff, Manna was supposed to last for a day. And the next day, it was supposed to be fresh and brand new. And if you collected enough, like, oh, I'm going to collect a bunch, it was rotten and spoiled. We're supposed to receive and go out and get new manna from him every single day. You know he has it for us. I'll just have the stale bread, Jesus. I'll have the stale bread today. What a waste, right? What a waste, because he has so much for us. Peter talks to this group of people, and he calls them, in verse 11, I'm going to jump back for a second, he tells them that they're his friends, and that's why he's writing this letter to them. And he talks about submitting to authority. We talked a lot about that last week. If you're interested in that, just go back. Brandon put it on the, it's on Facebook, it's on the webpage. But picking up in verse 18. Now, this is a word, if you're in the NIV, this is a word that I don't like. It's the word slaves. It's interesting that Peter, in, in this chapter, actually refers to slaves twice, but it's actually two different Greek words. One's, yes, a slave, like you think. And it's the one for us, he says, act as God's slaves, meaning God is our everything. He's our everything. Be sold out to him one billion percent be sold out to him he's your everything he is your master he is your lord but he's not like what we see when we think of slavery the lords and the masters of them he's kind and he's gracious in verse 18 he starts off by saying slaves but he he could also use the word servants here In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And man, oh, I don't want this verse. I want that first part. Those who are good and gracious, yes, I want that. How do we apply verses like this when it's talking about slavery, servants, masters? You know, we don't have that right here here it's here in our world conservative estimates are 40 million people are in slavery today right now across our world and if you count children who are forced in manual labor in foreign countries to make our clothes and our shoes 150 million people in bondage and in slavery today so how do we apply this we would apply this like okay So we're servants of God, so when you go to work, your job, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your bosses. Easy to do when they're kind and they're nice, but what if they're mean? What if they're, what Peter says here, what if they're harsh? Harsh. Verse 19, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. God, I understand my boss is mean and my boss is not a nice person. And out of reverence for you, I will serve you. And I will still honor them and work hard for them. That is so against our grain as humans. Actually, let me take that back. It's not. Originally, the way we were made, yes. Because we were made perfect in His image. In our rebellious state, (laughs) in our sinful state, it's very difficult to live this way, as Peter is telling us. Verse 20, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure this, This is commendable before God. To this you were called. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate, and when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He's talking about his Father in heaven here, that Jesus didn't even open his mouth and just said, okay, God, whatever you have for me, you're going to use these people that are over me to make that happen. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And this verse was quoted this morning by his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The reality that was written, that this letter was written to, slavery was a reality for them. In Renton, Maple Valley, Federal Way, Ravensdale, I'm looking around the room, Seattle, Kent, Kent Auburn, Auburn Wilkerson, Issaquah. Issaquah, the Qua. We don't really understand this, this passage sometimes. And we look at it and say, I don't really, why is this written to me? But it's written to a group of people that slavery was an everyday common thing. In fact, some of them were slaves. They were in situations that were not good situations and Peter is telling them here follow Jesus and live for him walk with him honor those who are in authority over you last week we talked about God's will for us in verse 15 is is to do good if we want to know what God's will is for us do good Because it will silence those who don't know him. Those who don't believe that there's a God. The Bible describes people like that as fools. Because the Bible says in multiple places, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, a fool says in their heart there is no God. And so when we submit to fools out of reverence for Christ, they don't get it. In fact, sometimes they'll just pour it on even more because they're like, wow, I don't get this. I'm going to really see. I've served under bosses like that. Not for the last several years. Pastor Alex was amazing. (laughs) So if you're watching from home, you're all good. We're, we're, We're good. But I served under bosses like that. And he disliked me greatly because I believed in Jesus and I followed him. And whenever I messed up, and I did mess up, he was the first one to point a finger at me. I didn't think Christians acted that way. I didn't think Christians did that. And I'd have to go back, and I'd have to humble myself, and I'd have to ask him for forgiveness and apologize. I don't know where that guy is now. But I know my boss, his boss, was watching, and he gave his heart to Jesus later on in life. God wants us to do these things because He wants people to know who He is. And if we just respond to when good things are going on in our lives, and well, that's just a normal response. Everybody responds that way. But when we respond honoring God in the tough situations, that's when people pay attention. And that's when they, they open their eyes and see, I want to know who this God. is. Do we see that in other parts of the Bible? Are there any unjust situations? Yeah, there's tons of them. And Jesus says in Matthew, wow, I'm looking at the time. We won't go there, I'll just say it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes through this amazing, beautiful list of if you want to be blessed, then do this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. And you get this beautiful list, of, oh, that's the that's feel-good list. And then he ends it with the last one. Blessed are those of you who are persecuted for my name. Jesus, that's not, where are you going? It was so good up until that point. I can identify with all those things. I don't want to identify with persecution. But Jesus said that when we endure it and we honor God through it and those people that are above us that are doing that to us, they will see how we're responding and they will give praise to God. We might not see it. We might not have the opportunity to see them give praise to God, but he says that when we respond and when we walk that way, That they will give praise to God. Colossians chapter three verses twenty-two through twenty-four. I want to read this to you. Servants/slash slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes are on you. To curry their favor. But with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if for work, working for the Lord, not for human beings. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So some of you, I know where you work. Some of you, I have no idea. And I blame myself because I probably should know you more. Some of you have new jobs. I still don't know where that is. But I just want you to know, as believers in Christ, you don't work for Boeing. Boeing's paying you, which is awesome. But you're working for Jesus at Boeing. You're working for Jesus at McDonald's. You're working for Jesus at Fred Meyer. I knew you would look. They pay you to work for Jesus. But how many times do we get caught up in the the complaining and the grumbling about our workplaces? I do sometimes. How many people would want what I have? Yeah. How many people would want what I have? We want all people to have what we have, and that's Jesus. There are plenty of examples in Scripture about injustice. And it starts here in the first few chapters of Genesis where two brothers come before the Lord and they bring an offering before God. And God receives one and doesn't receive the other, and the brother gets jealous and angry and kills his brother. The first murder happens in the first three chapters of the Bible. First four chapters. Well, was it because. Cain's offering wasn't acceptable because he brought fruits and vegetables and Abel brought this perfect little precious lamb. I've heard people teach that. No. No. Cain was supposed to bring the best of what he had and that was fruits and vegetables because he was the gardener. But he didn't want to. He wanted to keep the best for himself. And he brought God garbage. Cain brought garbage. Abel brought the best that he had and gave it with a heart that was pure. Cain showed up. He didn't even want to be there. He didn't want to present. He he wanted to keep it all for himself. But when he saw the blessing of God, what did he do? Instead of repent, he got angry. And he killed his brother over it. There's a group of brothers that almost killed their other brother over jealousy. Now, I don't blame them, kind of. If you're thinking of the Joseph story that they're teaching this morning in preschool, I mean, Joseph, a young teenager, has his dream. All these things are bowing to him, which represent his family the wheat. They don't like that dream. Well, the next day or so, he has another dream about the moon and the stars and the sun bowing to him. And he tells his mom and dad and he tells his brothers and none of them like that dream. And they're like, what? You're saying we're going to bow to you? It created hatred. It wasn't the fact that he was already dad's favorite. He had a jacket to prove it. And so that rubbed him wrong anyways. And so they conspired like, we're going to kill him. We're going to take him out. And it was the one brother that said, can we just traffic him instead? So they beat him up and throw him in a a pit, and they wait, and they trafficked him. They sold him into slavery, their own brother. They don't see him for years. And Joseph shows up in, in Egypt as a slave, and he serves the Lord, as He serves His Master on earth, and it's it's recognized. There's blessing all over it, and so His Master gives. I mean, Joseph's in charge of the whole house. Says that His Master, the only thing His Master woke up and worried about was, "What am I going to eat next?" Wouldn't that be nice to live life and just like, "I wonder what's for lunch." Actually, right now, I do wonder what's for lunch. <laughs> But that's all you have to worry about. Joseph was in charge, and then he got falsely accused of rape. He didn't do it. He actually did what was right, and he took off and ran. And they put him in prison. And when you read the Bible, you see that, oh, yeah, he's put in prison, but the next page, he's out, and now he's second in command of Egypt. He's in prison for like seven years. I can't imagine seven years of that type of prison. That's unjust. He didn't do anything to earn that or deserve that. And yet he served God in the midst of prison. He started interpreting dreams. Got people released. He wasn't released. But yeah, at the end of the story, he gets released because he interprets Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh says, there's something special about this guy, and Pharaoh just gives, gives him the ring, gives him, he's in charge now, and Joseph has these dreams. Well, he interprets the dreams of famine, and so seven years of greatness, so Joseph stores it up, and then seven years of famine, and during the seven years of famine, Joseph's family travels to Egypt to get food. Now, Joseph looks different. He looks like an Egyptian now. He's wearing the Egyptian clothing. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. It's a fascinating story. Read it. I just really encourage you to read it. Genesis 37 is where it starts. Spoiler alert. Okay, so if you don't know the end of the story and you don't want to know the end of the story, plug your ears right now. Just go la, 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 and I'll talk really soft. Joseph does reveal himself to his brothers. And they what? They repent. They <laughs> repent. Because now he's in charge. And Joseph makes a statement that lines up with everything that Peter's talking about here. Hey, bro, what you meant for evil, I mean, that, and that's what they did, to beat him up and to sell him into slavery, your own flesh and blood, that was evil. If you don't think that's evil, we need to have a discussion Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And what he means by that is God is in control of everything. And it just makes you wonder, like, year one in prison, did Joseph have that perspective? I think he did. Because it said God blessed him in all those situations. It doesn't say anything about Joseph grumbling. I wouldn't even make it in here. I'd be grumbling before I even got there. The bus ride there. The camel ride there. However you got there. There'd be grumbles all over the place. I would have given up. God, you forgot about me. What's going on here? So Peter says we got to know who our God is so when stuff like this happens, we can stand firm. When unjust happens to us. When we are at work and we're doing the best we can, and we're falsely accused, and we get blamed for it, we don't get that promotion. You apply for that job that you really desperately want, and you don't get it. We grumble. I understand. I'm a grumbler. I am the guy who usually half glass. And I wouldn't even say that. I would say maybe one 30-second glass at times, not always. But we got to know who our God is and He is working out things for our good. And it might not always make sense. Can you imagine getting this letter from Peter and then Peter saying, hey, you know what, just endure what you're going through. Just battle on. Don't give up. Serve Jesus while you're there. And if you get beaten... For doing good, just remember Jesus. Have you ever been in those situations where you're going through something really difficult and someone just says, Oh, just remember Jesus? You're like, Shut up! <laughs> Leave me, a, say something else! Don't even talk to me! But it's so true. Peter says, Remember Jesus. Because if anybody's was treated unjustly it's the Sunday school answer church it was Jesus in fact Peter goes on to say that in his trial in his accusations what did he do he didn't even open his mouth man he could have opened his mouth and blown them out of the water theologically blown them out of the water with the things that he said because he had already done that before when he taught the truth of God But knowing who his God is, knowing that this was God's plan for him, he was silent. And he lived it, and he surrendered to it. Hard for us to get our minds around it in our world today. It is by his wounds that we are healed. I do believe that God heals today. I also believe that our ultimate home is not here. And it's in heaven. And I have prayed for those that I wanted to be here. And God says, nope, I have other plans for you and for them. They're walking on streets of gold. They're free. I think of my dad often. My dad was sick for a long time. Now he's free. Amazing. There's a ministry called Open Doors. It's similar to um, Voice of the Martyrs. It supports, it's a ministry that supports the persecuted church today. Millions of people persecuted for their faith around the world. And received an email, Heather received an email actually this week, um, and she forwarded it to me. And there's an article that says, entitled Living in a Violent World. Seven Lessons from Persecuted Christians. And I was like, oh man, do I have to read that? These are people that have been beaten, taken away from their families, isolated, kicked out of their families, put in prison, and even been put to death. Not for doing something that was wrong, but simply for following Jesus and saying yes. And what Charles said, making him a Lord. It wasn't just like Jesus is my Savior and I can do whatever I want and live my own life. No, they said, he's my Lord and master now. I will serve him with all my heart. And their life was taken away. Here are the seven lessons from persecuted Christians. Number one. Always be thankful. (laughs) When we least feel like it, praise matters. I had a hard time getting past number one because I wasn't there. I was like, wow, really? That's the first one? Be thankful? Yeah. In everything, give praise, the Bible says. Number two, refuse to let fear win. Keep your eyes on Him. Number three, rely on God. Everything else around you will fail. So good. Take courageous next steps. Keep pressing into Jesus. Keep listening and keep obeying. That's courageous. The next one that was interesting to me, but it's so so real and so true. Grieve what you've lost. He's put our rest in him. The, every single point had a refugee or a persecuted Christian. And some of their quotes. And this was from a young lady who was taken from her home and she had to escape and run uh, for her life. And now she's in a foreign country, from, foreign from hers. She doesn't have anything. So her point was I need to rest in him, but I do need to grieve what I've lost and receive God's mercy, receive his healing. Forgive your enemies. And the last one was Keep Persevering. Written by a pastor in Nigeria. And I didn't know this, but Nigeria, on average, if you took the average, a Christian is killed in Nigeria every two hours. That's persecution. And he, Pastor Andrew, is a pastor at a church there. He refuses to close, he refuses, and their church was built burnt to the ground. And this was, when they asked him, this was his response. After losing everything, we realize God is all that we need. (laughs) Man. This is who Peter's writing to. Tells us to endure it to hang in there, to realize that God is all that we need. Man, there's a credible story in Acts. I know Sunday school teachers are going to start revolting on me here in a moment, so let me just wrap it up. Acts chapter 6 and, verse, and chapter 7, it's the story of Stephen, and Stephen is just out don't even have the words for Stephen when you read the story. He's an amazing young man who loves Jesus. And he's accused of just just unjust, false accusations against him. It even says that those who were against him looked at him and his face was like an angel. And yet they still went after him. They ask him, and he spends the whole chapter of chapter 7 telling them who their God is and who Jesus is by using the Old Testament. It's it's awesome. And then he challenges them at the end, and it makes them so mad when they take him out and they, they kill him. But what's so cool about that passage is it says that as they were getting ready to stone him, Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father of God. We don't see that any other place in Scripture that I looked, I couldn't find it. Because whenever we hear about Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. But in this moment, Jesus stands and he looks. He identifies and recognizes Stephen as what what he's going through. He's his advocate in that moment. something that so, what's going to happen next is so big that Jesus stands up and says, I see you. I see you. And they hurl rocks at him. And, and he says, Stephen says this pretty much the same words that Jesus said, God, forgive these, forgive them. As he's being murdered, he's asking God to forgive the murderers. And God gives grace, and he falls asleep and wakes up in heaven. (laughs) Things that happen to us this side of heaven might feel unjust. God, this isn't right. This cannot be your will for me. I prayed this prayer last year for Cleo God this cannot be your will for her over and over I prayed that prayer sometimes it is God's will we don't understand it we don't get it But Peter says, persevere through it. Go through what you're going through because God is with you. And there's a bigger picture, a way bigger, 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 bigger picture of what's going on besides just you. just want to say that Jesus sees you. He recognizes you. I'd love to say he stands for you, but I only saw it one time in Scripture. But I'll say it. I I believe he does, and I believe he will. Because he loves you that much. He is what we sang about this morning. He is jealous for you. His compassion for you is higher than you can imagine, wider than you can imagine, deeper than you can imagine. So maybe you're in the midst of struggle this morning. Maybe you're in the midst of circumstances where much like you, I was, like, God, I don't understand this. This cannot be your will. Maybe you're being pressed and what people are, want for you is evil, but... God sees the bigger picture and what He wants for you is actually good. And so recognize and know that He's with you in the midst of it. And I'll tell you that sometimes when you're in that place, it is very difficult to recognize that He's with you. I'm a mess, sorry. I get it, church. (laughs) The last few years were some of the toughest years ever. But joy comes in the morning, the Bible says. (laughs) I don't don't understand God's plans. I'll be the first one to tell you. How's that confidence from a pastor? But I do know this, that he is with us. I'm going to just come down here because he's with us. We'll never fully understand. Hebrews chapter 11 has all these great, grandiose people and talks about... And gives their names and all of the stuff. But then it gets to the point where there's, there's a place where it says that the world wasn't worthy of these. And it was because they had fully surrendered to him and they were being persecuted because of it. Read the whole chapter of 11. Don't just read the first part and like, oh, that feels good. That's what I want. There will be times of suffering. We're promised that. Jesus promised That. But in the midst of it, we are cared for. We are carried. We are held firm. So I just want to encourage you then to hold firm to Him. Can you stand with me? When you see a Sunday school teacher this morning, say thank you and apologize for me, would you? If you find yourself in a difficult place this morning, can I just invite you, whether you're at home or whether you're in the house, would you just put your arms out in front of you? I just want you to receive this morning from him. That God's not done with you. That he's your father. That he chooses you. That he knows you that he's the one that's making you holy, that he gives you grace and peace and abundance, that he's merciful towards you, that he is your life giver. He holds your inheritance in his hands. He's your shield. He's the one that is powerful. He's your revealer, your refiner. He's the one that gives you joy. He raises the dead, those dead things in us. He's the one that purifies us. He's the word giver. He's enduring. He's living. He's the shame taker. He's precious solid. He's light. So I wanna encourage you to revere him, honor him. Those tough situations where you are with work or whatever, home situations with difficult parents, Begin to pray for your parents. Pray for your bosses, your coworkers, your neighbors. Pray for them by name, church, and ask Jesus to touch their hearts. Ask Jesus to change your heart towards them. That we could be like Stephen in the midst of just craziness and you're actually on your way out of this world and you pray for those who are persecuting and literally killing you. So God, I thank you that you're way, way more than we can think or imagine this morning. We thank you for your presence in our lives. And God, I pray right now for those who don't feel your presence. God, if they don't know you, that they would know you now. God, I pray for those whose arms are out towards you this morning that are in difficult tough situations will you remind them that you see them? That you recognize them? That you stand and you advocate for them to your Heavenly Father who is right next to you? God, what the world means for evil towards us, God, we know that you make all things work together for our good. Hmm. So we receive your goodness this morning, your mercy, your greatness. I pray the new things that you've begun in this place this morning right now would continue this week. It'd be like gardens that we would grow, that fruit would come, and that lives would be changed in the power of your name. And the church said, amen. God is good. All the time. Uh, You guys are great. Love you all.